G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them as usual. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts and Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. I know everyone's getting into podcasts these days. I'd like to say that we were one of the first here at CFRC to do that. Now, today I'd like to... Actually, I'm going to go back on that. What I'd like to say to you is I'm sorry, I've got a bit of a tickle in the throat, so if I do a bit of a cough, don't worry about it. Um, it's going to go away, I know. So I just thought I'd warn you because if a cough comes, I can't stop it. <laughs> so this is what happens in winter. We get these little tickles. Now, today I'd like to introduce you to Jen McConnell, who is doing a PhD in education under the supervision of Dr. Pamela Beach. Welcome to Grad Chat, Jen. Thank you. Now, I heard on the grapevine that Jen has been wanting to come on this show for about three years, <laughs> and she's finally here, yes. so it clearly means she's got some information to to share with us, which is awesome. We hope. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> I'm sure in education, there's lots you can be talking about in education, and so just to let everyone know, uh, Jen's research topic is academic literacy in first year college. Uh, and she's got in brackets here, the necessary language for communicating communicating successfully in college. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, and that was correct, yes? I yes. That right? Yes. yes. So it was interesting. I, when I read your synopsis, and I'm going to ask you a little bit to give us a bit of an overview, there mm-hmm. were some, some things in there that I'm going to absolutely have some questions for. Because like I said, with, with education, there's so many different areas you can get into and, you know, it's just one, school is one of those things, isn't it? You can study all sorts of bits and pieces. Yes, it never so ends, It never it? ends. And I had to learn here when I first came to Canada about the different levels of schooling, because I'm used to primary school, high school, junior college, university, or for those that don't go into higher education, TAFEs and technical colleges. Whereas here's a little bit different. And I get confused when someone says college, is that a college like St. Lawrence College or is it a mean university? So I'm from the States and ah, that's so something I've the had States, to learn too. Yes, yes. So in the States yeah. it's definitely college means university. Exactly and yeah. here when I say college I mean something like St. Lawrence. Okay so we've got that sorted from, <laughs> from the get-go. So why don't you just give us a bit of an overview of what your research is, is actually about? Yeah absolutely. I am interested in the ways first-year students at the college level think about what it takes to communicate in schools. So if they're thinking about, you know, is that the standard five-paragraph essay? What is the literacy of their first-year experience? But I'm also interested in how their perceptions line up with their teachers. Right. So my study is considering first-year college instructors and the students in their classroom right. to see the ways in which they overlap. And I'm actually using metaphor to get at those perceptions. So what prompted you to look at this particular topic? Nobody else has. 
Oh, right. They're, it, they're in Canada or in North America? Anywhere. anywhere. There's hardly any scholarship on the college context. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So it's normally like pro- elementary school, high school, and then straight to university. Straight to university, yeah. And, oh. and there's one journal in the U.S. under the National Council of Teachers of English that is focused on teaching English in the two-year college context. Right. But that is really the only space in the literature that anybody's looking at these really diverse experiences. Um, I was a college instructor at one point in my career, and what I saw in the classroom and what I've seen again through my research is there's no classroom that's more diverse than a college classroom. And by diverse, in, in what sense do you mean that? In every possible sense, because okay. you've got kids coming right in straight from high school. You've got even younger students who are dual enrolled. You've got adults who are changing careers, who are coming right. back to school. You've got retired military. You've got people who are immigrating. You've just got this really rich, vibrant diversity in a college right. context, and we're not talking about how those learners learn. Yeah. yeah, well, it's a good point actually. And I, I know you mentioned immigration, but there's also a lot of international students that come over to do the college degrees here. Yes, yeah. So that's another another group altogether. Yes, big, very big. I'm very big in my research too. One of the teachers I'm researching, about half her students every term are international students who in her understanding of their goals are using their college as a stepping stone toward permanent residency. Okay, so right. So get, get at least some sort of training and skills behind exactly, them. Exactly, and a sense and then, of what the Canadian system feels like right. before they stay long term. Right. Oh, that, see, that brings another perspective altogether, doesn't it? Yes, and, and there's almost too many perspectives for this work. I'm aware of that diversity and excited about the college context, but I center my work on those perceptions of academic literacy and all that other stuff comes up in conversation with these students and teachers, but it's not my focus. My focus is the reading and the writing in the college classroom. What does that look like? What does it look like regardless of ethnicity and all that sort of thing? (laughs) (laughs) All those differences that we we have um, in all sorts of education. So can can you use the word metaphor? Mm-hmm. All right. So first of all, what is a metaphor? And then can you give examples of these metaphors in relation to academic literacy? Yeah. So I actually collect the data by doing a metaphor workshop because I have to explain exactly that. All right. I can. Because <laughs> when you hear metaphor, most of us are probably taken back to high school English. And we start thinking about, okay, what's the difference between a metaphor and a simile and right. it's a comparison? So the way I use metaphor and the way metaphor is used in education research is basically just as a stand-in for any kind of comparative analogy. It okay. could have the language of like or as, like we think of a simile in high school metaphor. Yes. Or it could just be an extended description. So in my research, and I'm basing that off of a, a multitude of metaphor researchers, particularly the work of Shaw and Mahilos, who they use what we would recognize as a simile structure. The A is like B because right. to elicit a response. And I've found that that prompt gets really rich responses because it helps people orient to this really kind of odd thing that I'm asking them to do. It's it's a creative writing exercise, right, essentially. Right, right. And I did bring in some metaphors from the college students. If Excellent. I, yes, I, go okay, for I it. I don't know if you want me to share those now. Yeah, why not? Or, okay. Um, it gets, and so these are from the students and not the instructors. Yes, I didn't, I didn't bring any of the ones of the no instructors. Problem. I can talk about what they've been saying, but I'm because at my heart I'm a teacher and and that's what brought me into research. I'm really interested in how are the students seeing this 
And then what can we do with that compared to the teachers? Fair enough. So one that I think is particularly interesting. So these are all first-year college students. So first-year students in a two-year college context, all ages. Right. Um, but this student in particular. So it's not, nece- not a particular program or anything? It's nope, across the board? Across the board. Okay. Across the board. And, and that part of the motivation behind doing it that way for me is that I see academic literacy as something that goes beyond the disciplines. There is a language of schooling that we must master to be successful in any right, discipline. Right, right. Fair enough. Okay. So this is a this is a young first-year student, not straight out of high school, um, and not her first time in a college classroom. Okay. So it's her second first year, but there was a gap and, and a whole variety of other things. But her metaphor says academic literacy is like high school because you're constantly being peer-reviewed with majorly negative remarks It takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears over a long period of time to come out with nothing but a sheet of paper. You will probably get covered in red marks and are almost guaranteed to be drawn on with pen at some point. (laughs) Sorry. That sounds like one of my essays. (laughs) So it's... It's so that was that was long. Yeah. Is it are they meant to be that long? Oh yeah. Oh okay. All right. Yeah. So it's it's long and rich and that's what I love about metaphor because even just in that one it's like okay she's comparing it to high school even though she's so many years out of high school. Right. Yeah. She's equating it to that it's just to get a piece of paper at the end. The degree has no value beyond it and you're going to be negatively Negative. reviewed by your peers. So what was the actual question you asked her? Mm-hmm. That was the that was in the metaphor workshop. I asked them to create a metaphor for academic literacy. So in the metaphor workshop, after I define metaphor and share some examples of my own metaphors using graduate school as an example, I have three prompts. The first prompt is academic work is like because and I invite them with a specific way to kind of talk through it as a brainstorming process. And then we move on to literacy is like because. Okay. And then I say to them, okay, what is academic literacy? And I give them the option to combine what they've already done. Um, I also remind them before they do it, because there's always some confusion of what do you mean by academic literacy. Right. I say, you know, you think about things, people will say emotional literacy or financial literacy. And, and you know, financial literacy is you're, you're able to use money. And emotional literacy is you can communicate your feelings effectively. Right. And then they go, okay, so academic literacy is something about how do I communicate in school? But right. I don't give them money my definition, I let them kind of play and see what comes out. Okay. So that that person had this is the second time doing first year. Yep. Is there another comparison that you Sure. Got there? So another negative one from another first year student. Academic literacy is like texting an X. It's tedious and no one wants to do it. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I know. Why are you at school? Yeah, yeah. fair question. But what I find really interesting about the negative metaphors, and, and not just these two, but the other ones that have come out too, first of all, I find it interesting there aren't as many of these really overtly negative metaphors right. as I might have expected, Okay, which could just be who's choosing to participate in my study, right. or the people who are more keen. But across the board, the negative metaphors have this sense of vulnerability and, okay. right. and intimidation. And it, yeah, it may be she's very self-conscious at the moment right and it would be interesting to ask her the same question in the second term and I did and, and did oh did it change I, well so the the girl who wrote about being written on in high school yes she <laughs> she came back in for the second part of the study and I gave her her metaphor and she said oh wow that's really negative I should change it and her second metaphor 
was about being a stand-up comedian and being heckled and having things thrown at her. Right. So okay. it didn't actually change. Right. She still was expressing that vulnerability. That vulnerability. Yeah. It's interesting because it's interesting you've used the word vulnerability because people may not see that straight away. They may just see as I my first impression of that second of the negative one mm-hmm. was very much well. Why are you at school? Because clearly it's not going to be enjoyable for you. Right. But l- looking deeper into that, of course, there could be more t- a lot more to it. So we shouldn't judge things directly from first impression right and I think it's it's fair to have that first reaction of well why are you here and if these were high school metaphors okay yeah you're gonna have people who are forced there but when you're paying for your education yes on some level you've made a choice to be there right right so it's it's interesting that's what I want to get at is okay so what else is going on what else is there yeah and what was your other positive one? Well, luckily, like I said, the vulnerable metaphors, the more negative ones, have been very limited in right. what I've collected. Most of the metaphors have been really, really positive. And there have been two ways they've been positive. There have been ones that are just like academic literacy is valuable and it's important to me. And then there have been ones that have unpacked not only it being valuable, but being tied up with issues of access and privilege. So that's been okay. super interesting just to see these metaphors developing. One of the metaphors about the valuability of academic literacy, this comes from a student who is not, she's a more mature student. She's changing careers, right? but it is her first time in higher ed. Okay. And she wrote that academic literacy is like comparing school to cooking. It takes time, practice, patience, and involves different styles of learning to get it right. Very true. And when I brought her back in for the second time, she didn't change her metaphor, but she deepened it and expanded in this really interesting infographic about all the pieces of cooking and like the piece Uh of the stove being the think tank of education and the ideas being the ingredients and the spices. Oh, that's good to have all that around you. Yes. That would be fascinating because you could take that so much further yes and that's my plan is I, I'm meeting with my participants three times and I've met with them all the first two times right and the third time is to see all right you've so got all these pieces where are you now and the time frame between each one about two months between each meeting okay so your last lot will be done this term is it or? yes oh. I'll be done in March and then it's analysis time there we go <laughs> <laughs> the bit that everybody loves to do <laughs> or not okay so what patterns or themes have emerged from the metaphors created by first-year college students and their teachers and and what does that actually tell us about literacy in college or post-secondary study so I've been analyzing as I collect the data oh that's good yeah it's it's been very helpful and it's it's helping me really frame how to come at it and so I already mentioned about the vulnerability and the value and then those students who are seeing those ideas of access and privilege in my head I've been thinking about that as academic literacy being vital right in that it's tied to more than just what goes on in the classroom so there really are three very clear divisions I'm seeing right among the students which are vulnerable valuable and vital and the teachers fit in wherein the the teachers I've interviewed and, and so what do you mean met- the teachers fit in their metaphors fit with these same themes oh is that the, right the teachers okay. metaphors have been valuable or vital okay none of them have had vulnerable metaphors but when I chat with them the second time they get it they bring it up I haven't introduced it, but in their thinking, they realize, at least peripherally, that academic literacy can be frightening for some of their students. Right. But for where they're oriented, it's very positive, which we would expect, right? That's... 
that that that'd be interesting to to see their perspective on it because we all have our own thoughts and i know even here where we think oh we're going to do this workshop because they really need that and then you think well maybe we should ask them <laughs> exactly just because we think it's good for them doesn't mean to say it's actually going to help them yeah <laughs> so and that's something I'm, I'm doing with this work i've actually been as part of all of this qualitative recursive process i've been using researcher created images right. so i'm taking photographs based on the metaphors right and i'm sharing those on social media anonymously not mm-hmm. associated with the students but what my plan is is to gather those into a little chat book That'd be for interesting. the teachers yeah. so they can have a collection of these are what the students say and right. they can do with that what they will it's interesting you say that because i mean because social media can tell us a lot right mm-hmm. because some people particularly vulnerable people find that probably easier to make comment on something where they're not actually seen right but the way education and people's thought process and things are changing so fast i mean education's changing right it'd be interesting to see what happens down the track are you you know in say five years Years time mm-hmm. and you went out went and asked admittedly a new group what kind of metaphors they came up with and whether they're still along those three three themes yes or whether it's totally changed or another another theme has been popped into it and i would like to extend the work to high school and university okay i would to like see, to, to see, see the differences yes and particularly um, actually, it'd be interesting to see a high schooler who goes and then goes up to higher education, whether it's college or university, to see the differences from when they're in high school to higher education. And then it'd be also interesting to see three totally different people yes. at different at different stages. I had to really parse it down for my dissertation. <laughs> I had all of these ambitions. Say, what about this? I'm yes. What about this? I mean, you can just go everywhere everywhere on it, which is not going to help you finish. But um, <laughs> but it's so rich. So it is. It's, it is rich. Such a cool methodology, and I. I love playing with it. So, but did the instructors? I know you said the instructors normally fitted into two, although they yes. they talked about the vulnerable side. Do they get what you're trying to do? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's been really neat. And, and again, because the instructors, I had to get them on board first because okay. my first mm-hmm. data collection was me taking over their class for an hour and delivering this workshop. Right, and then okay. the students could choose to participate or not. But all of the class could participate in the workshop, even if they didn't want to be in the study. So the the four instructors who've partnered with me are very interested in this for a variety of reasons. For most of them, it seems to be a desire to bring more creative writing techniques into their classroom. Because I was going to ask you, what what would they use it for? Yeah, they, they seem that seems to be what they have wanted me to bring in and where right. they've been excited. And at least two of the instructors are explicitly excited to see the comparison between the students. Oh, that's to be good. able to see what are, what's coming out what's of it. Coming they know out it's a dialogue it. and right. they're keen on that. I mean, we've talked a lot about the metaphor, mm-hmm. but why are you using this as a data source? Because it's not an easy, it's not like numbers and things where you can <laughs> drop in and have some sort of equation. I mean, this is very different. It so is. why use metaphor as a data source? I think it's because I'm a writer and a teacher and those things really inform what I do in my research. Um, I actually read my first paper that I found metaphor as a data collection method. I read my first summer here for something else and stuck it in a file and the name on the file that I put on it was maybe for dissertation so it has been Mm, kicking around in my head the whole time I've been here right and my project has evolved in a variety of ways and I knew I wanted I wanted a qualitative methodology because I think with words I I don't think with numbers Um, and (laughs) so you're not a math teacher I am not a math teacher I was an English teacher (laughs) and 
And so then the, the more I got into the design of the study, the more I and the more I read about metaphor in education research, the more I got excited about the potentials because it's a deeply cognitive right. data collection. It gets at these implicit tensions and it oftentimes gets at, you know, things that the participants didn't even know they were thinking, thinking. until they create this weird metaphor and then they're like, Oh wait, oh it is like that. Right. So, and so, it, so they're getting surprised themselves. They have been, yeah. That, which is nice. I know. Otherwise, it's just a, I'm just helping out. But, but yes. if you get surprised yourself or get something back from it yourself, that's awesome. So I guess the next question then would be, what makes the first year college context particularly rich for the study? Because and- you could have checked... <laughs> chosen fourth or you know or yes. mistake, sorry second year you could have gone that way so why the first year I think the first years in any educational context are these really vibrant it, places of change and transformation well it's the transition yes right? because to, you're bringing, to another to something else so you're you're in this liminal space where you are informed by what you had before mm-hmm. but needing to adapt to where you are now and how much of what you had before is properly prepared you and how much of what you had before do you have to forget and that's that's where the first year college context I think is so rich I mean we right. saw it in that metaphor about high school yes. even with years from when she was in high school she's bringing that in with her for right. good or for ill right. that previous experience is informing her transition and then that transition will dictate where the they go after the first two years of higher ed are the the dropout years those are the years that point. that make or break retention yeah i mean the the, the trend i always find the transitions from say high school to university or high school to college is huge yeah. like in university the transition from undergrad to grad yes is completely different and you think you know it but you, you don't. think you do yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then go oh no yeah <laughs> unless it's maybe a master's course which is more course-based which right. which is a little bit different it's a little closer to what an undergrad is but the research side definitely very very different very and in college just thinking this context too that transition often includes moving out living mm-hmm. away from home the first time. Living for all of these firsts mm-hmm rolled into trying to navigate a new educational experience with new teachers and new expectations and and that whole idea of this is the first step of my future. So your research currently is from here? Yes. Do you think your results would be different if, say, you were in Toronto? Oh, that's a good question. Because, well, things are different in Toronto, right? right? I mean, and I know with, with Kingston, a lot of people come to Kingston right. to go to school. Yes. or higher education. Toronto, people can stay at home if they go to university or college at one of the ones there. So they're not necessarily having that part of being away from what they're used to. They're still in the same environment. That's they're just true. a different education system. I actually think they would still be similar because none of nobody has overtly mentioned that aspect of transitioning in okay. these conversations. And, and for the, the word for the word academic literacy. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and we're even in the interviews that have followed up. And because of the strength of the pattern that are happening in this context and again because of what we talked about at the beginning about how mm-hmm. how diverse the college context is regardless of where you are I feel like these these patterns would still be there I, you know right. I've got lots of repeated metaphors I right. had two metaphors on evolution oh, okay. that, that academic right. literacy was a form of evolution from two different students in two different classes and I've gotten metaphors about swimming from people in different classes right. and so there are these things that I feel the like transcend yeah 
Because the other the other question there is apart from geographical mm-hmm. differences, you know, access, monetary, and even even another step for, forward is those people who excelled in high school and those who made it through. Yes. You know, because that's a big difference too. Yes. Those who excel come come with a certain expectation and a feeling of, well, I'm going to be okay. And sometimes that's a big shock. Yes. It's not. And yet there's others that have got through to it with not not as many expectations other than to enjoy it mm-hmm. and potentially get a better understanding. That's been an interesting thing that has kind of come up peripherally in the interviews. The participants in my study who said they took university courses in grade 12 feel like they are well prepared for college and college is easy and they're riding fine and for whatever reason are college and didn't go up to university. But there have been participants who talked about taking college or applied courses and they're the ones who are feeling like they can't keep up. Right. So interesting to consider, too, that even though we think about that very straight trajectory of you split into college or you split into university courses and that's where you go, mm-hmm. that's not the reality. It's not the reality. The students no. are coming from a lot of different points right. of access. Right. Hmm. Lots to think about. Yes. Now, you did mention that you piloted this method earlier. I did. And that was on grad students, I understand. Yes. What a cohort to look at. I know. <laughs> and if, um, I think you said it um, in some of your notes, it was about their perceptions of research and academic writing. Yes. So so what made you want to do that other than just to try this method? As a grad student and as a grad student who feels good about writing, I'm very aware that that's a privilege and that that's not a perspective my peers all have. Right. You might have to do some writing for me. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm really interested in looking at how do grad students feel about these things and mm-hmm. how do we then support graduate students as they work toward their goals. It's, it's the same motivation as doing it with the college students. Right. It's, it's, it's my teacher self says, okay, here's this population of learners. What are they struggling with? What are their strengths? How can we help them? Right. And, and for me, helping comes with knowing what's going on first. So was it master students or PhD students? It was, pilot? it was both. It, was um, both. it ended up mostly being PhD students who responded. I put it out on social media. Right. So I basically did a, not a, a digital version of the workshop, but the prompts were all written out. Right. So it was a, a self-directed writing exercise. And I didn't collect data in terms of where these graduate students were coming from. I got very peripheral, broad information about years in their program, just general social sciences or humanities or sciences. And their age and self-identified gender. So I I don't know where they were answering from, Right. um, but it was a really nice diverse group of grad, well, diverse group of answers that still let me see some really interesting, uh, interesting things from grad students. And did that help you formulate how you wanted to ask the college students? It did, because I was able to look at the way the answers work together. So for those questions, the order of questions was research is like, my research is like, academic writing is like, and it was really interesting. And then when I played with the metaphors, I pulled them apart and I looked at the research and my research as kind of their own thing. Right. And then I looked at the academic writing ones as kind of their own thing. And so my next step is to kind of see what happens across together. the board. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. You can tell you're very excited about this stuff. I am. And the, the grad <laughs> metaphors were really interesting. And it's funny now, having done that before doing the college metaphors, but that vital and vulnerable and valuable, that's all still there in the grad metaphors, only heightened. Positives are stronger right. and the negatives are stronger. Is that right? Yes. So in both directions, they're stronger. Yeah. That's interesting. And, and I guess some of that would depend on where they are, perhaps, in their degree. Because as we know, some, particularly PhD students, get 
a bit of a slump sometimes and yes. thinking, what, what am I doing? <laughs> and so I imagine that, that thought process at the time might be a little bit different. Okay, so clearly you're enjoying what you're doing and clearly this is something that can go on a lot further. And I'm, oh, yeah. I'm actually really surprised, like you said in the beginning, that it is only... In, there, it hasn't been any sort of work on this in, in on college students like this before, which is actually quite sad. It is because it's an amazing population. Yes, and um, particularly with the, the diversity of programs that they do at colleges. Mm-hmm. So I I am really really surprised with, with that. I am too. I, I'm, and that's actually been something I've brought into my workshops. Right, is to tell the students that their voices matter oh they do and and they've they i think that's why they've wanted to be part of the study because there aren't a lot of people who are saying hey you're in college what is that like what is it like yeah Yeah. i'm going to ask you about some of your extracurriculars because i'm I'm always fascinated about what our grad students can do (laughs) in their so-called extra time right although we keep saying you know you've got to have a bit of balance you've got to do your work but you've got to have some time off and things yes and as usual, the students end up being part of some sort of steering committee or, or you know, <laughs> president of this club and doing this. And so you're still doing more work. And, and what's this steering committee you're on? Forest of Reading, oh, the Silver Birch Express. Yes. So the Ontario uh, Library Association mm-hmm. has a reader engagement program okay. called the Forest of Reading. And schools participate and the kids can vote. And it's Canadian schools. books. Elementary? Yes. Elementary. And there's there's book levels up through adult books. Okay. Um, but the part of the steering committee I'm on is looking at like a grade three to five. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, the books are all Canadian in some way. So okay. Canadian publisher or author or illustrator or all of the above. Or the story itself. And they have to be just... nominated. Right. Um, put forward usually by the publisher to be chosen. And the steering committee, the steering committee doesn't, the, the selection committee narrows it down to 10 books a year per category. Right. And then the kids read them and vote on them and then there's a big festival in the uh, spring. So th- so it becomes part of the school curriculum? It can, yes. It often is integrated right. into the classroom It's not directly. something that you can en- enroll your kid in you can, at, at the local library. You can do both. Oh, it's, okay. it's both the public libraries right. and the schools play in this place. And then in May, there's what they call the Festival of Trees, which is when they bring in all the nominated authors <laughs> and the kids come in. That's and fantastic. it's a day-long festival at the Harbourfront Center in Toronto. So Oh, in Toronto. In Toronto. And then the kids have voted, and then the winners are announced, and it's just this very... That's brilliant. It was first described to me as a rock concert for readers, and I went last year, and it 100%, that's what it is. So is this something we could sort of promote to our our family? We've got a lot of grad students who have kids as well, and it's another activity that they can get involved in, which it's great for the kids to do more reading and get involved with their local library. Yes, and if nothing else, Mm -hmm. it's an amazing curated book list of current Canadian titles. Fantastic. So even if the if not it's not going to be a direct involvement, it's a great place to go for book recommendations and there are categories from little bitty picture book up to adult. So they can find that out through their school or the local library? Yes. And it was called Forest of Reading. Yes, the Forest of Reading. I love it. That's fantastic. It's very cool. I'm glad to be a part of it. And you, you clearly like helping out here because then you're a children's book reviewer, the School <laughs> Library Journal and Canadian Children's Book Centre. Is that part of are you doing that right now? Or? I am, yeah. yeah. I've been, so I have a background in children's literature and library science. Okay. And I've been reviewing books for a really long time for right. various library publications. And then since coming to Queens, I've been reviewing for School Library Journal. I mostly review 
picture books and young adult literature. Cool. Um, sometimes professional titles. And then I, the Canadian <laughs> Children's Book News is the same the kind same. of breakdown. And I, I love it because I'm, I'm an avid reader and this keeps me reading current material. Right. But also gives me a chance to share with teachers and librarians these are really good books. You yeah. should read them. Yeah, so rather than having to go and search the right exactly. ones, you can sort of help them in that sense and, and say, no, these ones are good for these reasons. Yes. See, I've been part of the Queen's Read yes. group, and so I'm loving that. That must and be so much and fun. And I'm doing it again this year, so I'm very excited. We've got our first book. Of course, I'm not allowed to say what it is, but we've got our first book and uh, can't wait to read the rest. I'm so. excited. I've read them each year I've been here, yes. so I'm very excited. Really, really good. It's a cool um, program. It's, it's fun. So it seems that you're keeping yourself very, very busy. I am. And clearly you've got lots to do. And I, like I said, I'm. it's really good that you're doing some research on the college setting. So, Jen, it has been great chatting with you. Thanks for coming on to the show and good luck with the rest of your research. Thank you. So that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget, you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcast, or Stitcher. Just type in a Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Hey.